there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Just to give a brief plot, he's found the body. Uh, He's gone to the library, he's found the house, he's then been unable to get into the house, so he's found the landlord to get back in the house, he's then got back to the house, two men have pulled a gun on him he's gone in there, Malik has looked both crestfallen and relieved that is where we've got to. Nice recap Okay. So they're into the house the front room uh, was musty, Uh, the windows had not been opened for months and light had not penetrated for God knows how long, there is an odour of rotting vegetables mixed with rancid butter and Stale tripe. <laughs> There's not much interesting kind of prose here, so we can probably just kind of abridge this bit. Do you think? Yeah, basically. But, but he does. He does get a lot of information in the next couple yeah. of pages. There are banners and flags on the walls, photographs of men in military uniforms, and then we learn that the guy he sees a photo of who he thinks is old Sam, and he's told that that man is called Stefan Mikhailovich Dushan, who was a general. Right. So, so these people in the house are not friends of old Sam. They are. They're friends. Okay. They're all in. They're in some kind of army with Sam. He okay. was the general. Right. It's completely baffling, but not because yeah. of the way you've summarised it, just because <laughs> of the way the information is presented to us in the book. Yeah. The guy, yeah. the janitor slash groundsman from Lettersford Town, was an Eastern European war general. Yeah. It's a tale as old as time. <laughs> there was a smell in Charlesworth Street. It wasn't the smell of tripe, nor of rotting vegetables in an undrained sink. It was the odour of fanaticism. <laughs> Chapter 7 starts with something I haven't seen enough of in this one compared to the last one, which I used to really enjoy in the first book, which was just generally grumbling about his everyday family life. Yeah. So he's talked about Eastern European fanaticism. Where do you go now? When children get to be teenagers, they're never off the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Ask parents. They know. Bills shoot up, our daughter can stay with a pal for a week, and as soon as she gets home, she has a telephone to spend an hour telling her all the things she's neglected to say the previous week. And again, you know, this is what, 1999? Yeah. Smartphones are going to absolutely blow Steve's mind. <laughs> Steve Bruce now must be fuming when he looks at the world. <laughs> no, uh, this is a slice of life. It's Sunday morning. He's still kind of in Susan's... Uh, I don't know why she's not more angry with the fact he's just going constantly AWOL for no reason. But he seems to be getting away with it. So on Sunday, he usually sleeps in. Susan gets up to bring in the newspapers. She reads the broadsheets. I go for the tabloids. My wife has had a better education than I did. (laughs) Here it is. But Um, it's balanced out in a really lovely way by him saying he prefers making comments to the uh, quality papers when he's given interviews because they don't sensationalise. They report in depth. So there's this really, really weird sort of ego dichotomy where he prefers reading the sensational tabloids, <laughs> yeah. but he prefers giving interviews to the serious papers, even though he could never dream of reading those interviews himself. So he then um, he has this kind of cross-purposes um, conversation with his wife uh, where she's talking about breakfast and he's kind of pondering on the... Uh, you know the conversation that would never happen? Can we just read this conversation? I shook my head. What's the trouble, Steve? No trouble. 
When your forehead furrows like that, all those lines, I know something's wrong. Why should old men want to get together and sing patriotic songs? What are you talking about? I can't understand the singing. Clever you. I'm hungry. But why should they want to keep it secret? Steve, you're not planning to go out today, are you? (laughs) (laughs) It's like they're not in the same room. You know how David Bowie used to um, write a lot of lyrics and then he'd cut them all up and just mix them up? Yeah. Steve Bruce has used that for the conversations. (laughs) (laughs) So then the daughter brings in the telephone. Um, There's a knock on the bedroom door. Our children have learned that you don't barge into your parents' bedroom on a Sunday morning. So he gets a call from someone claiming to be called Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith desperately wants to meet Steve. Steve doesn't want to meet him at all. Basically, he has an argument with Mr. Smith. He says, I don't want to meet you. Mr. Smith says, let's meet in a public place. He says, no. Sums the phone down. Susan says, who was it? He says, a bloody nutter. Except what? He didn't sound like a nutter. (laughs) There's then a, a, a lovely bit, which I nearly completely missed. I don't know if you caught this at the bottom of page 68. Just as he's about to go and leave the mysterious Mr. Smith, he tries to proposition his wife. Yeah, I love it. Which is the only glimpse of... of, No, he's going to meet Peter... What's he called? Oh, no, sorry. With his son, Peter Penrice. Yeah, with his son, he's decided to meet Peter Penrice for a pint. (laughs) He's Um, the manager of the team they're playing on Tuesday. (laughs) And his wife's like, we want to go to Christmas shopping, you'll see Peter Penrice on Tuesday. But he's like, I want to meet Peter Penrice for a pint. So he comes off the phone to Mr. Smith. He's just about to go meet Peter Penrice for a pint. And then I stood up, stretched my arms, and touched my toes a couple of times. You need to lose weight. I read somewhere that of all the activities that make you lose weight... No. (laughs) It's just the swiftest of glimpses there. What? What? You don't know what I was going to say. I know that look by now. Have a shower and then make breakfast. So, you know, he's tried to get he's himself tried a bit to, of to get some... Sunday loving. <laughs> yes, yeah, Sunday loving. But he doesn't oh, get that. So he's you know. getting knocked by his yeah. wife. <laughs> and then, basically, um, he decides to go to the Travellers to meet Peter Van Rice for a pint. He arrives before Peter. He gets himself a soft drink, rock shandy, lemonade mixed with soda water and a dash of Angostura bitters. Ideal for someone like me trying to keep off the booze. It's a nice I, little... All right, and then he sits down. I had a rear view of the car park. Perhaps I'd be able to see Peter Penrose. <laughs> I've never, when meeting a friend at the pub, if I've got there first, sat and looked out the window and thought, I'll probably be able to see him arriving. <laughs> if I'm lucky. And even if you did think that, you wouldn't write in a book. No! <laughs> Excuse me, do you mind if... Uh, you're right to swap tables because I wanted to see if Peter Penrice is arriving. Like, no, no. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for my mate to arrive. I got here early to get this seat, mate. Oh my god. So he's meeting Peter Penrice, and then rather than the girl who he ordered the drink from bringing the drink over, the girl did not return with the drink. Instead, a man brought it. He was not a waiter unless waiters have taken to wearing long black overcoats and shiny Homburg hats. Now, what is never explained... So this guy is a is a new baddie. Yeah. This guy is... What, Mr. Smith? Mr. Smith, sure. Yeah, it's Mr. It's Smith. Mr. Smith, yeah, right, OK. <laughs> but what I've never understood um, is... What's the dialogue that's gone on between Mr. Smith and the waitress? <laughs> <laughs> Where she said... He's kind of intercepted the drink. Yeah. For no, need, no reason. He could have gone and sat down anyway. Yeah. With or without the waitress. <laughs> And I don't think a waitress... If he'd said, oh, yeah, I'll take that. I'm just meeting my friend. I don't think she'd go... 
I mean, it's just a totally bizarre it's kind very, of... It's, yeah, it's very odd. He could have just gone in, ordered the drink, sat down, and the guy with the Homburg hat had come over. Yeah. But instead, the guy with the Homburg hat has kind of charmed the waitress into letting him, <laughs> as a kind of flourish, bring over the drink. <laughs> I wasn't going to listen to you, but since you've got my drink, <laughs> fire away. He says he's um, expecting a friend. We're going to reminisce over our playing days. And then Mr. Smith says, first, we must ask you about your connection with Stefan. Do you know his background? Basically, we then, in the next you know page and a half, get just a whole load more intrigue as to who the Stefan guy is and then who this new guy is. And essentially, we, we, we dance around it a bit. Uh, this Mr. Smith says that I'm from a very different world. So basically, he's established as an enemy of Stefan. Steve asks Mr. Smith the two big questions that you need to ask anyone who's sort of dangerous in your world. Do you have a tattoo on your arm? Are you living in the past? Those uh, in any scenario, even on a date, those want to be the first two Steve, questions you ask. Steve, um, um, Steve has got this kind of. He keeps saying these people are living in the past. He says it a lot about mm. the guys that are friends with um, Stefan. He's obsessed with living in the past. I kind of feel like Steve Barnes, if he worked at The Hague, would excuse anyone of war crimes because he'd feel that would be living in the past. You can't try any crime. Yeah. Just living in the past to admit it. (laughs) So so we ask those questions to identify whether Mr. Smith is maybe, you know, a mate of or has things in common with uh, uh, Stefan. But um, his answer is even more enigmatic when instead of saying... I don't have banners from a glorious past. He says, I have numbers from a terrible past. And then in quite a sort of bleak twist, he reveals that he has, like, the numbers which represent old people, children, male and female, inmates of concentration camps run by Nazis in World War II. Obviously, Steve Barnes has um, got very little knowledge of this area, as with anything based in the past. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But what's amazing is after this quite bleak detail... Steve's impatience to leave the conversation, get going, only intensifies. <laughs> so this guy starts telling this quite sad story of people who died in concentration camps near Sarajevo during the war. And Steve says, it's none of my business and I don't want to be involved. It was all a long time ago. You'll have to excuse me. <laughs> Stands up, picks up his car keys and leaves. I mean, to be fair, Steve Barnes could have been saying that in the dock at Nuremberg. <laughs> <laughs> It's very weird. So these guys, there's on the one side, there's these guys with Stefan. Now this Mr. Smith's character's turned up. Yeah. Who's been in concentration camps. Like these people are kind of reacting to this awful event that's happened. Yeah. And they're trying to kind of right or wrong in some way. They're or like to, a sort like, of the Mossad style. Yeah. Or like, yeah. Yeah. And so... But Steve Barnes has absolutely no truck mm. for anyone that's carrying so any weird. kind of baggage, even that, yeah. of concentration camps and slaughter in World War II. Yes. So, <laughs> no one has ever treated the Holocaust with such impatience as, <laughs> as Steve Barnes. So, so are Miss, is Mr. Smith and the, the general, are they on the same team? No, and I, that, that is a no. spoiler of sorts, but I think we are, we are to learn that they are linked, if anything opposed. Yes. Yes. I, I do wonder, like, the sort of minor observations and gripes that Steve Barnes has feel very much like Steve Bruce funneling in his own life yeah, experiences well, and I, I wonder if he was sat at a dinner table with someone who so, possibly was a holocaust survivor who just bored him to tears yeah. <laughs> and he just thought right yeah. come on mate um, not, not many people know but this was um, 
this was written when A, Steve Bruce had flu, and B, uh, his wife had just rented The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. <laughs> yes. I don't want to watch this film. I just have I'm, to sit I'm trying to invert your wingers list. for the first yeah. time tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, he's, he's got an impatience with yeah people carrying on stuff in the past, people getting in the way of his sort of everyday tasks. And also, I think it's a general impatience and a really hypocritical one of just people being telling slow or long stories yeah. like there's a bit where previously the mates of the general are talking about um, you know how their group came together and he gets impatient because they're telling the story of the first world war and they haven't even got to 1915 yet <laughs> and for a man who's constantly pausing his own story to tell you about his car and his Christmas shopping it feels a little rich if they'd said the tank has a power yeah. steering now we're talking yeah. So then, uh, next next morning, Monday, he wakes up. He says, um, you know, he's only found an old man. But things have turned distinctly pear-shaped. Then, how the hell is he going to get out of the house, Ivo? It's the ultimate car paragraph in the book, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's my favourite. The XJ has just about everything a man could wish for in a motor car. Or, for that matter, a woman could wish for. <laughs> While there are few women in the higher levels of soccer management, there are many women in business at top managerial levels. <laughs> They'll make their presence felt in soccer as the year goes by. Mechanically, the car has many excellent features. 3.2 AJVA all-alloy engine. So Seamless. Car, women in football, women in business, women in football, car. Is the, the sort of sound. Yeah, I'd keep going. There are, the, the audio system couldn't be better. There are nine speakers and a six-disc CD auto-changer. Do I sound like a car salesman? Believe me, I could sell this motor and have no problem because I genuinely believe it's one of the best cars on the road. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah he loves his car and he's and he's he's off for a drive he, he ruminates on how he'd like to have more media work because he knows a lot about football and then he says I, d- I don't know a damn thing about the history of the Balkans but I know the difference between a flatback 4 and a 352 I understand the 7 essential stages of defence and I tried to look up the 7 essential <laughs> stages of defence and I've, I've not seen it written about anywhere else in football management or tactics I'd love to know what those are Right. Then he realises he's being trailed. I would say that in the next few pages we could sum up quite quickly. They're part yeah, of rubbish. They're, they're, they're one of the more frustrating bits, mainly because, if you recall, we've already mentioned in the first book, we have that outstanding bit where he's chased across the Pennines. He jumps out of his car uh, and gets chased on foot across the Pennines and then has to take off with all his clothes after having jumped into a lake. And in this you get the sense that you're going to get almost exactly the same thing because he gets followed by another car... Um, they essentially force him to pull over. I pull over. I, I, I pulled over. I opened the window. As the car had automatic air conditioning, you have a nice even temperature inside the car at all times. The sudden rush of cold air came as a surprise. <laughs> um, so they make no move to get out of the car. He goes back to them. He goes, what's this all about? Basically, he realises somehow that they're an unmarked police car is that fair to say and he doesn't want to be bothered by an unmarked police car he's annoyed to have been got out of his car on the Pennines because it's bloody cold and I was coming down with a bout of influenza oh no we're not going to see another naked runner no, no well they're, saying they're not because what happens next is they just drive off he asks yeah. for them to show some ID and they literally just r- r- drive off and he goes on with his day so it's I would say completely wasted part of the story <laughs> but it gives a bit more of an impression of how lots of people are interested in him and are monitoring him <laughs> coming down with influenza <laughs> I think I am 
Can I just say that when it, it transpired that Mr. Smith was on the other side of this war or whatever it is, my heart sank a little because clearly there's always one side in this that you don't really understand. And I realised then that Mr. Smith represents another side that yeah, you're not oh, going to really understand. Really and yeah. by now it's so muddied as it was in the first You will book. get there. You will get yeah? there. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so Lawrence tries to push a brandy on him. He won't have it at any cost. No there's ice. a page that finishes three lines too high you think it's the end of the chapter but it's just a printing fault <laughs> <laughs> then he's driving along uh, Malik turns up in his Merc uh, why has Malik turned up? I'll tell you why uh, because they oh, burned yeah. his houses down what? yeah the two houses <laughs> the prostitute's house the guy the, and the guy's house have been burned down right so they head off to the burning houses Right. And uh, the first, uh, the chapter nine begins exactly as you'd want chapter nine to begin. Where there had been the stink of boiling tripe, there was now the smell of burning. <laughs> I don't want to say it, but we're all thinking of an insurance job. Yeah, it's... Well, I tell you why, that's not true. Because um, I hope you're insured, Mr. Malik. My father told me to pay the insurance. Then you've got nothing to worry about money-wise. But I spent the insurance money on parts for my car. Oh, <laughs> gutted. Malik's an absolute nightmare. And that—that that is the last you see of Malik. Yeah. <laughs> he just does a small brief cameo to uh, say his houses are burned down, take Steve to the houses, tell him he doesn't have insurance, and then Steve leaves him to it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I touched him on the shoulder. It was my way of saying, hard luck, mate, but I'm going home to a warm bed. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the line! Barnsley! Barnsley! I'll tell you what, though. If, if you do find that your house is burnt down, but you have got insurance in place, what you will be feeling is both crestfallen and relieved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does say. Uh, Malik had a look at his face of being crestfallen and crestfallen. <laughs> Much easier. Double dressed for them. He just patted him on the shoulder. So I'm, I'm off to so, a warm bed. So this was right. there, at this point, they're outside the burning houses. Yeah. Yeah. So Steve goes to leave, but then he's stopped by a guy. Uh, and the guy um, says, my boss wants a word. He's in the Citroen over there. Yeah, and I'm going to go to the XJ8. He turns to leave. The guy gets a gun out of his holster, takes Steve over to the car. Yeah. And... Um, in the back seat was an older man, so you're the boss, I said. Basically, this is the undercover cops again. Mm. They're now, they've seen the houses are burnt down, they've turned up. They tell Steve that they saw Steve meet Mr. Smith. Yeah. And that they want to get Mr. Smith. And so what they're going to do is they, they just need Steve to meet up with Mr. Smith one more time so they can then get Mr. Smith. Right. They're going to use Steve as bait to ensnare Mr. Smith. So just to be clear, yeah. the guy in the back of the car is an undercover cop mm. and his colleague, also a cop, to get Steve Barnes to him has pulled a gun on him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that seems excessive for someone with, you know, a police badge. Yeah, that... You have to remember that earlier in the story, a gun was pulled just so someone would look at some photographs. <laughs> so... <laughs> Putting a gun in this world is essentially saying, yeah. no, come on, please. It's just like such a vacant attempt to add some sort of like danger. So, okay, can we just have a recap? So you got old Sam, who's now named Stefan. He's dead. His comrades in the house that Malik once owned. Yes. And letting it out to old Steph. And then you've got Mr. Smith, who's on the other side. And, and Steph was a war general. And these undercover cops, they want Mr. Smith. 
and they're going to use Steve as bait and somehow out of all of this we will resolve the mystery of everything absolutely yeah, okay. correct we've got a 30, about 30 pages to go also. game on <laughs> uh, he also well, he does take time in this discussion with the cops to complain about the amount of vandalism in phone boxes in Cheshire yeah <laughs> But <laughs> you know what? When we we talked about the the front cover of the book and how it's a sort of mess of like flags and symbolism, I would much prefer it to be like the cover of a sort of Adam Sandler film where you've got him sort of pulling a bemused and slightly sort of peeved face, <laughs> while one man points a gun in his face, but he's also holding Christmas shopping as if to sort of suggest <laughs> the, the myriad challenges facing him. So he agrees he's going to be bait to meet Mr. Smith. They say your country needs you. They're more than cops. They're kind of MI5 or something like that. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Interpol kind yeah, of Yeah, like, exactly, right. yeah, exactly. This um, is my favourite bit of the whole book. This bit about your country needs you? Yeah. Okay. Well, remember, Steve Bruce has never had an England cap. Yeah. I can't remember. This. Has Steve Barnes also never had an England cap? We'll yes. see. Right. <laughs> Let's put it this way. You'll be helping your country. My country never wanted me. <laughs> what do you mean? I was never capped. <laughs> why, why was that? Well, they're better than defenders than me, I suppose. The best uncapped fullback in the country, the driver said. So it's the driver's trying to sort of pull him back in by yeah. flattering him again. Yeah. Mate, we by the we way, all thought you should have been capped, Steve. Now, uh, make yourself better. By the way, the boss just adds, cricket was always my game. <laughs> <laughs> so he agrees to do it. Okay, so this is the show. They say now. we're a specialist unit, we're anti-terrorist. There's also a great bit where, in a sort of fit of pique, he uh, deliberately sneezes on the undercover cops in the hope that they'll catch his influenza from him. <laughs> he so, does, you know, yeah, he's yeah. not afraid to What's go low. I can't that thought has crossed his mind. <laughs> I never I thought need... to sneeze on someone. Oh, that's the best bit about having a cold when you're with your enemies. You don't need to put your hand over your mouth. It's all good. So he's in this position that the chapter ends. A shiver down, ran down the length of my spine. And I'll tell you this, it wasn't because of the influenza virus. <laughs> Very lovely bit. Can I ask, who do you think the bad guys are at this point? Mr. It's, Smith? It's really hard to tell. It's really hard to tell. But I think maybe that's his development as a writer, okay. is that he realises that it's, it's not about good and bad, black and white. Yeah. You know, Shades it, of grey. Right, it's shades of grey. There's a real moral complexity at play yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also because he just resents all invasions to his life. The, yeah. the bad guy is yeah. whoever's got him out of the house or stopped yeah. him thinking yeah. about football. Yeah. yeah. There's no good or bad that's just annoying. <laughs> 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 so, the next morning, he's going to meet Mr. Smith. He's by the airport. There's some hotels. So he gets to this place... It's kind of, there's a receptionist. He says he's here to see Mr. Smith. How would you describe the receptionist, Josh? I can't remember. She's an attractive girl with a deep tan. Oh, yeah! You know, in a book where he's mostly been either frustrated, bored, or actively disgusted by the woman he's encountered, things are about to turn. This relationship he has with this receptionist and how she develops and how the relationship develops and how it eventually plays out is... Utterly baffling and morally suspect. Yeah. Uh, very occasionally you think that's actually quite sweet, but but it's not. He just really fancies this tanned receptionist. <laughs> and he lets you know she's He keeps referring to her as the tanned girl mm -hmm. at one point. Uh, he tells her that he's there to meet Mr. Smith. And uh, she flashes a full set of good teeth. They went down well with their deep tan. 
<laughs> a good teeth chaser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at her closely, I thought she could very well be from a Mediterranean country. Her use of English was impeccable, though. Yeah, who uh, likes her? And then they go uh, out a back door, which says "emergency only" on, which she which she sort of kicks open. It doesn't activate an alarm, and then on her instruction, he gets into a motor car with the windows blacked out. So it's just your average going to have a meeting in a in an office. Yeah, park. I know it's the windows were blacked out. What's this? Get in, the girl commanded. I hesitated. She took out a submachine gun. <laughs> Our, our old what friend. Yeah. You know, it's the first character yeah. some machine gun. Yeah, that's such a like good Mar- point. Mary Poppins' handbag. Your eyes are navigating over <laughs> teeth and tan. <laughs> I didn't notice the submachine gun. So, so she was posing as the receptionist. She was posing as the receptionist. Oh, oh, wait, sorry. She took it out of a large black bag. Yeah, she, she had a bag with her. Some receptionist, I obeyed. Yeah, it's such a great turn of him saying some receptionist. This is the third time he's been like a yeah. gun has been pulled on him. But this is the something. worst of them. Yeah. He does at one point say if she shot him, he'd have holes like a sieve. <laughs> at one point, <laughs> uh, he's been kidnapped. Essentially, this this receptionist with a hidden submachine gun and great teeth has ushered him into the back of the car. Uh, and he's then driven towards the airport, which makes him anxious because he doesn't have his passport with him. Just another lovely detail. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've got to get my stamps, guys. I've got to get my stamps. <laughs> but luckily, they go to a car park where they transfer into a white van. Yeah, so it's just a it's just a vehicle transfer. Uh, there's no windows in the back of the van. There are no seats. We're all in the back, except for the driver. <laughs> It's not a self-driving car, <laughs> all you 1999 readers. <laughs> the thought that Steve Bruce was worried. <laughs> Dear Steve, it's your publisher here from, from Tripe Factory Books. Um, just one detail, on, on page 98, the driver is in the front. Oh, yes, sorry, I should have specified. Apart from that, great. Yeah, great. Although great you misspelled Samosa. <laughs> Also, I've heard from the NHS, it's a no. <laughs> but good news, Lee Dixon is up. <laughs> By the way, uh, we've commissioned the art for the front. It's, uh, it's based purely on the paragraph where you sum up the plot. So, uh... so he's being driven a white van. He notes that uh, they've made a good decision bundling him into a white van because there are loads of white vans on the motorway, so it's not conspicuous. So he's applauding his kidnappers even as they take him. So we expected to believe the police are on the tail of this chase. Well, they are because they, this, the they, reason Steve's the gone to meet him yeah. is that he's the bait. Right. right. Uh, it, on the way, he asks the girl, uh, "That's a nice tan you've got. Where do you get it? I was born with it." She replied. Yeah, it's it's all a bit creepy. There's one <laughs> point where he tries that thing which captives often try with their captor, where they'll try and befriend them. Yeah. So he says, you smell good. <laughs> you smell, she replied. I knew that wasn't true, so I guess... It's a great sentence. That when she wasn't busy being a terrorist, she must have a sense of humour. <laughs> Put that in your, in your Tinder bio. <laughs> well, I'm not busy being a terrorist. I do have a lovely sense of humour. Loves bombs and a GSOH. <laughs> Oh man! So then they stop. Oh, there's a lovely bit where he um he's trying to talk because he thinks that the the police must have bugged the van. Right. 
He's just trying to talk to make sure that the bug's working. Yeah. So he says, I want to try a sweeper system, I said. The free defender. The van's been swept, the girl said, cradling her submachine gun with it as if it were a baby. I looked at the floor. It didn't seem all that clean. <laughs> you didn't do a very good job. Swept for bugs, she said. <laughs> no one can hear you. What about influenza bugs, I asked. <laughs> There's a great bit there where he's drawing in strands. The convergence of those seeds that he's planted earlier. Yeah. I mean, that is... She, a, she would have no idea he's got influenza. Interestingly, he dreamt that paragraph, wrote it down, woke up, and then he had to build the story around yeah. it. They get out the car at the, at the other end. Um, he gets taken into a, into a dark room and handcuffed. He then says... He asks her if, if she sleeps with the gun... She says, yes. He says, lucky old gun. She says, you'll never know. So yeah. the, the, the flirting doesn't stop. Um, and then he we asked, get to the really critical conversation with her. Yeah. First, he tries some more flirting. Do you ever go dancing or enjoy, enjoy a night in the pub? There are some good clubs in Mulcaster. Save your words. <laughs> Save your no, words. this is the key bit. Yeah. Oh, this is when he gets, um, he gets handcuffed to the radiators. Now... Uh, this is presumably in reference to John McCarthy or Terry White. Terry White. Terry yeah. White. Yeah. I once read about some guys held hostage in Lebanon. They were fastened to radio for five years or so. Poor devils. I was feeling the strain after only 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> if he swapped shoes with Terry White, imagine that. So she's given nothing. And then this happens. Who's your favourite footballer? I asked. Ile Berkovich. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of ponders on Isle Berkovich because she knows she's made a mistake when she says Isle Berkovich well, not he, just because he shouldn't be her favourite footballer yeah. so what she he spots that she's given away something yeah know, she says Isle Berkovich and like oh so he sort of caught her off guard basically yeah. right so after she reveals that her favourite football is Isle Berkovich and he replies from West Ham then transferred to Glasgow an intelligent player he then shuts up he sort of muses on, on what he's learnt through her answer. And then Mr. Smith comes in, gets rid of the girl. And it's Mr. Smith saying that he's going to be asking Steve some more questions uh, to get the truth out of him about what's going on. Even though, obviously, and then Steve doesn't have much. Get the truth out of him. He gets out a needle, which is full of what we presume to be truth serum. <laughs> he's about to put it in, Steve. With that inside me, I wouldn't know if I were on a ship or a chicken farm. I had to do something. I had to do it quickly. Yet there was nothing I could do. Nothing at all. End of chapter. Chapter 11. Except the one thing I know best. A sliding tackle. (laughs) 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 Broke that across two chapters. Hasn't he previously been... Extolling the virtues of not slide tackling. On the football pitch, maybe, Michael. He's not trying to come out with the ball and play Mr. Smith off to a striker. (laughs) So Mr. Smith represents some global, like, Mossad, like we said. They're trying to investigate some They seem like some kind of vigilantes against, like, Eastern European sort of war criminals, maybe. And they're trying to get information off of Steve Barnes, who has just bumbled into this story and found out everything. Am I meant to believe that Mr. Smith couldn't have done this himself? (laughs) He's he's already apparently burned down a bunch of houses and, like, tracked down Steve Barnes. (laughs) Yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. (laughs) Steve Barnes' involvement in this is not as important as Mr. Smith (laughs) thinks it is. Um... 
So then he breaks out. He kind of creeps out of the house. He didn't waste any time getting out of the house. So what we, he slid tackled. He slid People tackled. With guns. Knocks Mr. Smith he knocks out. Mr. Hoover, but he, luckily, but, he, doesn't, he doesn't knock him so far away enough from the radiator that he can't get the keys out of right. his pocket to oh, yeah. Yeah, undo the house. You answered my. I thought the, the has, force of his slide tackle was such. Has ripped the radiator <laughs> off the wall. Radiator <laughs> off the wall. <laughs> so uh, he runs out and then um, stops briefly to catch his breath. He's being chased by these guys. He shouldn't stop to catch his breath. No one would do that no. in that situation. Um, <laughs> if he has a honk of a horn, he turns around and expects it to be the white van of Mr. Smith and his cronies. But it's the young police officers. I jumped in the back of the car. Am I glad to see you guys? One young man in the back had his eyes glued to a TV screen. And he wasn't watching an episode of The Simpsons. Imagine if he had been watching an episode of The Simpsons. <laughs> They're on the move. That guy's using it to track the guys in the white van. Now, this is a bizarre thing. Could you explain this to me, Ivor? He said, how did you find me? He said, they said, using a tracking device. He says the van was clear of tracking devices, or swept, I suppose. They say, yeah, we attached it to you. But then, from what I can tell, I must have got this wrong. The guy is still tracking the white van, even though Steve Bruce <laughs> is in the car. Like, which is, he is sat in with Steve. Ah, they're right on top of us, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we can't shake them. <laughs> Could you put any light on that? I'd completely miss that. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah, the homing device is in Steve's shoe. So it, it just doesn't stand that. I love that it just falls apart. And also, there's no, there was no need for the detail of it in his shoe. No. Except for the conversation earlier about how the van had been swept clear of bugs, which no one needed to say in the story. That wasn't crucial, except to set up a joke about influenza bugs, which also wasn't necessary. I suppose the need for it to be in his shoe is so that they needed to use Steve to find these guys. They got they didn't know where the white van was, otherwise they wouldn't have needed to use Steve. They needed Steve to find Mr. Smith. Yeah. So then... Steve's part in all of this is perhaps the most mystifying part yeah. of the whole thing. You've essentially got two or three key organisations trying there, to There is a possibility where... Steve Bruce has written the first Steve Barnes book. He's considered it such a success that he's thought I should do a second one. But he hasn't got any ideas. However, ten years previously, he had been pottering away at a novel about spies and war. Yeah. <laughs> that he's now attempted to rewrite just, Steve Barnes into the middle insert, of. Yeah, you could almost write him out of the narrative. Yeah. And it all works. It's, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? Not it probably worked with that, better without him as yeah. So Steve Barnes are giving chase. Steve Barnes asks if he can phone Susan because he's going to be in the doghouse. They say he can't. Um, they pull a gun on him. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. Do they? Yeah. Because oh, he tries to call Susan. They pull a gun on him. Yeah. He gives them the gun. He gives them the phone. He says, "Take it." But if it rings, you answer it. Susan can give you hell. Yeah. <laughs> Joke's on you if she calls. Susan, yeah. the policeman pulled the gun on each other. I like the thought of the, the total lack of reaction that Steve's now giving to having guns pulled on him. Yeah. Yeah. The, the sort of shrug of the shoulders. So I, think I, know, I think I know what that is. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. so then they give chase this white van. Then this is kind of when we come to the business end of the story. Uh, they've come over here to kidnap an old man, the police say. Not from Ireland, I said. Uh, that doesn't matter, Steve. Berkovich, I said. <laughs> what? Now I get it. What do you get? His voice was contemptuous, as if to remind me I didn't understand anything. But a penny had suddenly dropped. 
That girl, a looker, the boss says. I wouldn't kick her out of bed, the driver added. <laughs> She's a trained killer, the boss said to me. I've seen her machine gun. She can kill with her bare hands, has done, and knows about explosives. Make someone a nice wife one day, I said. <laughs> <laughs> She's already married. Her husband's in the same line of business. Israeli army, secret police. The boss's mouth turned down. It was the nearest he'd got to showing surprise. How did you work that out, Steve? When I asked her who was her favourite player, she picked an Israeli international. (laughs) 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 To which the policeman replies, So, Olga's human after all. (laughs) Olga! (laughs) Olga! And we learn that Olga and Smith belong to a dedicated group close to Israeli security. Their job is to hunt down and eliminate war criminals. So it's it's very difficult for a start to know who side you're even really on. Well, they're technically not terrorists. Like, is this plot to Munich? Yeah. Was Munich out around this time? But I think these are vigilantes. Yeah, that's kind of what they were in Munich. Yeah. They're like Mossad, but not official. Yeah, a sort of unofficial branch of the yeah. government, yeah. This is, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think there's any implication. I don't think Steve Bruce yeah. is in any way implying the Israeli government's got a hand in this. <laughs> Just to be very clear. <laughs> right. I don't think he's going into that depth. Mm. If you're worried about Mossad hearing this, I have checked the place for bugs. Yeah. <laughs> not influenza bugs. Have you checked my shoes? Check yeah. <laughs> um, imagine if Mossad just burst out of them on the rooms. <laughs> and then... Uh, so, basically, he, they follow the van. Uh, yes. Um, and, uh, and they're thinking about... Um, he's still thinking about Olga and sort of feeling quite confused by... You know how, how she's become. How does young, attractive woman's become mixed up in this in this violent business? Uh, and they then move. They take junction twenty three, going eastwards uh, towards Halifax, and that's pretty much uh, the end of uh, the penultimate chapter. So he goes briefly into the history of Halifax. Yeah. <laughs> Until twenty or thirty years ago, this was an area that had thrived on wool manufacture. <laughs> That is now all but gone. <laughs> it's the, it's the, it's the Eyes on the prize. Eyes on the prize. <laughs> just, this is a great example of him needing to pick a location that he knew about. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way he's oh not thought, where can I write a couple of paragraphs about where have I been? <laughs> so, uh, so he does all that. He talks Peter about Reed, Peter Reed, Reed, Reed doing a good job at Sunderland. <laughs> As an example of how a, a club doing well can revitalise an area. <laughs> he hasn't watched Premier Pictures. No, he hasn't. <laughs> sadly. So they continue to um, follow this van. Um, he mentions that the boss is carrying a gun uh, which makes him look like Arnold Schwarzenegger when he plays a cop in movies. <laughs> <laughs> They get out of the car and they're creeping around outside a house which they think <laughs> right. uh, that Olga and Mr. Smith have gone into. Um, he keeps press- pressing the sort of the undercover cop boss for more details. He then basically summarises everything that he has learned, um, which is that Sam Milton, uh, also known as Stefan Duchenne, had been involved in the Second World War in the Balkans and then come to England after the war. He, while he's talking about this, he goes on a long sort of history story while constantly thinking about how he wishes he knew more history and how he wishes he'd read more of the newspapers than just the sports pages. Still, you can't know about everything. Football's my bag, not history or politics. 
And at the end of the war, a large number of people had escaped from the Balkans and Eastern Europe. Uh, many were getting away from communism. Some had collaborated with the Nazis during the war and needed to start again. Mr. Smith had mentioned people who collaborated with the Nazis. He'd mentioned people with numbers tattooed on their arms. And who could they be other than Jews, gypsies, and others considered to be undesirables? I don't know history, but I can put two and two together. You following this? No, so I, I can't work out if Stefan is a camp guard or a... No, a Stefan... Yeah, he's a war criminal. He's a, he's a, war, he's a war criminal. criminal. Old Sam. Old he's Sam. a war criminal who's escaped the Balkans after losing the war. He's then gone undercover for 50 years working as the janitor stroke groundsman at Leddesford. And now he's died and that has drawn his two friends to come along, Steve Barnes to get involved and then these other people are chasing to try and find him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The white van that they're following pulls up to a house. They go in. Seeing the police are waiting out the back of the house. Yeah. Then there was a sound. The boss crouched down even further. I could tell he was tense, ready to spring. The door opened slightly, then wider. Three people emerged. Mr. Smith, Olga, and an old man who walked unsteadily. <laughs> Mr. Smith held tight to the old man's left arm. Olga held him by the right arm and had the black bag in the other hand. I knew the lethal weapon she kept in that black bag. They walked slowly and carefully. I couldn't understand why they'd chosen the back door. They had no transport here. Yet they had done the right thing, for the boss's boys were waiting at the front. It almost reached us when the boss stood up. He pushed his gun into Mr. Smith's back. Drop the bag, Olga, he hissed. I had to admire the guy's call. Put the bag down, Olga, Mr. Smith said. Olga obeyed. Hands in the air, the boss commanded. Keep it steady. Get them high. I stood up. Olga gasped, but her response was nothing compared with the old man's. Mr. Barnes, he said, what are you doing here? <laughs> I looked at him in the face for the first time. Bloody hell, I stuttered, taken completely by surprise. Sam Milton. <laughs> <laughs> Back from the dead. What? So, Stefan Dushan, a commandant of a concentration camp in Yugoslavia. The kingdom of Yugoslavia, the old man said proudly. And what I did, I did with pride for the cause of my country's freedom. Etc, etc. So... The guy, they're all standing there, two Israelis with a hand in the air, Smith's face flushed with anger and disbelief. I stood there, seeming to be faced with a ghost. Then suddenly, things started to happen. I see it all clearly, like a slow motion action replay. Uh, the old man swayed, he fell towards the boss. Mr. Smith latched out and caught the boss on his gun arm. Olga's left hand came down viciously on Dushan's neck. I heard the crack of bones. The boss fired and Mr. Smith took it to the gut. Olga dived to the side to retrieve her black bag. The boss turned to shoot her. I don't know what's going on either. <laughs> but the boss goes to shoot Olga before the boss, who's one of the fucking police. Yeah. yeah. Before he can do that, Steve kicks him high in the chest. The bullets go harmless in the air. Then Olga gets away. Steve has basically he saved, saved her Olga. life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With another of his famous slide yes. tackles. It's absolutely Batshit. So who's in this room shooting at each other? She got away, they're Sam, outside. So yeah. old Sam's in there. He's been killed by a hit from Olga. Okay. okay. Oh, so and she it, killed old Sam. Or Mr. Smith did. Right. Broke it, his neck. Yeah. And the police here as well. Smith. The, the police boss has the police shot attacked Mr. Them. Smith. Mr. Big, Smith. It's like the end of... It's like, Mr. Like, Smith's shot. They're about to kill Olga. 
Steve kicks the policeman who's going to kill a whole I mean, that is a prison sentence. (laughs) At least. Like, you can't can't slide tackle Interpol (laughs) when they're trying to shoot terrorists. Like, what the hell? (laughs) Just because she's tanned. (laughs) Tanned and great teeth. If book three doesn't open with him coming out of prison. (laughs) We've said it before as well. Like, there's three warring factions here, essentially. And Steve Bruce has no right to be there. <laughs> and also, this is like that scene at Anchorman, the car park scene of Anchorman. All the all the different news crews are here, and it's like they're going to just war. It's 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 very then, intense. Yeah, the boss is livid. He says, "You stupid bastard." Um, <laughs> then he's got the gun at Steve's belly. There's a sound of gunfire. I clutched my belly. My face was contorted with fear. I lifted my hands as they do in the movies, expecting to see my fingers covered in blood. There was nothing. It's only then I saw the boss was lying face down, Mr. Smith with the gun in the hand. I nodded silently. There didn't seem to be a better way to express my thanks. Basically, what? Steve Barnes has got into bed with Mossad. <laughs> <laughs> the happy ending yeah, is that the, the Interpol guys got shot by the vigilante terrorists. Therefore, removing the only witness to Steve Bruce's yeah. <laughs> slide tackle crime. There's a great bit wow. where Steve remini- uh, ruminates. By the way, obviously the guy's alive because the tattoo is the wrong side they replaced the body. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Don't, I mean, I have questions, but yeah. So, hang on, but, so that means that old Sam was genuinely having a fit at the start? I don't know. Well, yeah, I've got some questions. I don't know. I, I, I have as well. <laughs> yeah. I'm not the man to ask. <laughs> then Steve Bruce, Steve Barnes, sorry, turns up at the match at half time. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the score at that point? <laughs> Two nil down. <laughs> I forgot about the side Please, show. please tell me he implements a sweeper system and oh, they win 3-2. In the final no, three pages. that doesn't happen. Oh. They win 5-2. <laughs> but it's the way it's explained. Sorry, carry on, Ivo. Yeah, oh, I mean, um, he's he's getting some bother from Sir Lawrence uh, when he arrives at half-time. Uh, the chief constable wants an explanation, but he insists that he goes and talks to his team at half-time. <laughs> He, he tries to get Jacko, the French guy, or, uh, you know, African, I can't keep up with what the country are called, these <laughs> um, and uh, to, to implement the sweeper system. They do, there's some quite sort of long-winded explanations of how the attacking moves pan out, but they win the game 5-2. Oh, wait, can I just say, <coughs> that is my favourite, uh, actually, this is a really good bit, when he gets bored of describing the game. So they're 1-0, uh, one, they get one back, and then it's, Five minutes later, we caught Burnwick again. Danny Drever was on the ball. He was hard-pressed, so had to turn back. Jacko was in place, right in front of the back three. He took the pass from Danny. The two advanced together, talking to each other as I distracted them to do. There was a nice overlap. Jacko had the ball. He turned it back to an unmarked Danny, and the ball was again in the net. Two all, and still 25 minutes to go. Those of you who saw the game will remember that we ran our easy winners at five. <laughs> <laughs> he's just giving up isn't he yeah. he's like I'm coming bold he's describing the game it's long isn't it football when you describe all the all the moves at the final whistle I went over to shake hands with Peter Penrose <laughs> um, this was more than mere politeness remember he's my mate Peter about Sunday I'll explain forget it mate trouble yeah the wife she insisted we go and do some Christmas shopping if I'd met with the travellers I'd have been in the doghouse Peter had never turned up in the first place. So Peter... Don't know. Yeah. That's the, the, loose, the loose end... Remember the loose end that you didn't care about at all? Where it's like, oh, what happens when Peter Beanrace turns up at the Travellers and Steve's not there? That's fine. Peter didn't go anyway. The, the least important bit of the but, whole story is resolved. But he didn't go because he had 
parallel wife Christmas parallel issues because I thought that. that was Steve oh. <laughs> apologising. Oh, no, 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 that was Peter's uh, issue. I thought you were going to say Peter Penrose was involved with Mossad. <laughs> no, that's where possibly book three, Peter Penrose gets mixed up in all that. <laughs> Do you want the end? Yeah, the, cl- the closing paragraph. I arrived home about half past ten. The children were still awake. School holidays. Check the internet, I told my boy. What do you want checking, Dad? Find out what you can about a man called Dradko Mihailovich. Uh? How do you spell that, Dad? The end. (laughs) 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 What a note to end on! That is is up there with uh, Nobody's Perfect from Some Like It Hot as a a brilliant (laughs) sign-off. Thoughts? I'm more confused about Steve Bruce the man than ever. Yeah. I, 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 I this story was. I, I think you've muddier. always got to remember it's Steve Barnes. I kept saying Steve <laughs> yeah. Bruce by mistake. There are reasons for that, but I think you always have to say it is a character of Steve Barnes. Yeah. Steve Bruce has drawn this character. He's drawn on his own perspective, but you know. He's created this kind of character that's kind of unrefined, yeah. stupid, gets yeah, yeah. involved in stuff he doesn't need to and doesn't like his own yeah. wife, but that's no <laughs> way that... It is a very rich broth, but let's not ask where the ingredients came from. Right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Do you agree with uh, the quote on the back that this is a book uh, that will be enjoyed by all ages and both sexes? <laughs> <laughs> what I like to call the Bruce promise. <laughs> I guess if you know Steve Bruce the man, it's intriguing, isn't it? And it is quite entertaining if just you get lost I, in the for thing. one, cannot wait to read Defender. Yeah. I mean, I... It's an underwhelming title, isn't it, for a, when we when we reveled in the in the sweeper system. Yeah, I, you should have gone with midfield. I, I was going to say that at the start. Yeah, you missed the train. Oh, yeah. yeah, but the janitor's not going to turn up with a big wing, is he? He's going <laughs> to need a broom to get a sweep. You're absolutely right, Chris, and that and that's on the front cover as well. You've got a sweeper. Yeah. You've got the two flags. You've got Steve Bruce, and oh, yeah. you've got a, we should, an old man. Should, we should end with the front cover, yeah. which is an Israeli flag. And a downtrodden janitor-esque groundsman man, yeah, and, 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 and a Eastern European flag that I don't recognise. I, th- I think it's a Yugoslavian uh, flag. So there's a there's a oh, it's Israeli. Is it the it's front? A, it's an Israeli. No, there's an Israeli, there's an Israeli there's flag, a Yugoslavian flag, a janitor, and a picture of Steve Bruce. Wow, wow! Thank you've done an amazing job of reading that. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, but I'm ready to move on. <laughs> <laughs> Ivo Graham, thank you very much. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> oh, wonderful stuff. That was Ivo Graham on Sweeper. There we go. The second of the trilogy done. I'm not going to read the other one yet, but I cannot wait. We'll be doing the third in the Steve Bruce trilogy in the next series. And we will be doing another watch along uh, this series. We're not sure what yet. We want to keep doing them and more books. Uh, we, we have scratched the surface. We're hungry for more. If you can suggest any good documentaries or books about 90s football, or made during the 90s, ideally, then this is how to get in touch. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin, and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. That is how you get in touch if you want to win yourself, though. A Graham Says Hitler's mug, uh, which are not as limited edition as we'd like to claim then all you need to do is leave us a possibly five star review on iTunes in the form of a haiku it's time for it's really haiku 
Naughty's football review haiku. Review haiku. What you got for us, Chris? The first one is titled Ibrahima Wonderbar by Jump Tactic. Quickly, Kevin's great. I'm Marion Parhached. David, may I have a mug? That feels like too many syllables. It does. Like too many syllables in the final one. <laughs> right, I, mean, right. I enjoyed it. Let's see how the second one gets on. Okay. From Gazbaz UK, it's John Fashionu Haiku. Johnny Fashionu, Gladiator Zorika, scoring goals with shoe. Michael, he's done the maths. <laughs> I've done the maths, and for me, the second one is the winner. Gazbaz UK, you get a Graham says hit Les mug. You are free to enjoy whatever hot privilege you wish with. Now for the quiz. Last week was an unbelievable time where we got every single player in the Man United versus Arsenal 98 Charity Shield. Michael, what have you got for us this week? So here's how it works in case you've not listened before. Each week, Josh and Chris go head-to-head in the 90s football quiz to choose which song gets to play out at the end of the show. Now this week, it's bidding war. Here's your question. This is all about Euro 96. I want you to tell me as many of the eight venues that hosted Euro 96, you will get the option to bid for the number of venues you can name. If the opposing player thinks he can beat you, you can force him to name those venues. If that player incorrectly names a venue, they lose. If they name them all correctly, they win. So bid carefully and tactically. We flipped a coin before the show, so Josh you get to bid first how many venues do you think you can name eight all eight wow <laughs> i'm gonna go for it over to you skull i mean um how can you argue with that because you can't you can't outbid me well i can't outbid you there but is a... i'm willing i'm well up for you trying if you think you can name all eight as well there is a tiebreaker question i can only get seven i think oh so ready are you gonna make him play yeah over to you josh wembley correct Villa Park Correct Oh I'm missing one Allen Road Correct Anfield Correct Old Trafford Correct St James Park Correct City Ground Correct Oh that was the one I hope you wouldn't get um, You're going to need one more Hillsborough ah. Correct <laughs> <laughs> Eight out of eight, full house. Josh oh. wins, so he makes it 3-1 for the series because you both got a point for the draw last oh. week. So which song would you like to play out the end of the show? I think I'll go for, in the spirit of Euro 96, I seem to remember a uh, montage at the end of um, England v Scotland that always stuck with me that was a soundtrack by Walk Away by Cast. Oh, I remember it well, and yes. that was after England-Germany. I was after England-Germany. Yeah, when England when we were eliminated, yeah. Ah, right, well, let's have that then. Lovely. We'll see you next week for Tony DiRigo. Robbie Slater, see you later. 